So, I, I have the title of my message today, and we're going to talk about true discipleship, but I called my message this today, We're Not Wasting Our Time and We're Not Wasting Our Resources. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about our building today. Uh, this really falls right in line uh, with the series that I've been doing uh, called uh, Identity Theft, because our world wants to teach us how to think, and what we established the very first week and every week uh, in succession is is that we want to be submitted to and following true truth, unchanging truth, which comes only from the source of the Word of God. And if we let God's Word and God's Holy Spirit influence our lives, we'll think the way that we're supposed to think because there's too much stinking thinking in our world today. Uh, People that are trying to influence us, whether it's to the far right or the far left, and it was interesting how this kind of went right in between uh, kind of landed right in the middle of uh, the midterm elections, and everybody's telling us what we should think, and we're like these big, we're, we're like robots, and, 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 and we don't hear news anymore that's factual. We hear news that's opinionated, and what we want to do is we want to base the way that we think and the way that we live our lives out in accordance to the Holy Scriptures. So I want to read this verses to you. We're going to, one of the things I'm going to, we're going to bounce around this chapter a little bit. We're going to read a little section towards the end. We're going to go up, and then we're going to come back down again. Uh, You know, the Word of God, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. God's Word is truth. Somebody say amen. Amen. And it's unchanging truth, okay? We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he told us, and the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, that he is the Word, and the Word dwelt amongst us. Well, when we understand that the Bible is our source of truth, we have to understand The way that we interpret Bible is not under the umbrella of science. We don't interpret the Bible under the umbrella of politics or culture. The Bible stands alone in its truth. And we have to be very careful when we're comparing things that we're not comparing. Well, it's it's different today. We hear that a lot. You know, it's a little bit different today. Uh, The Bible's a little outdated. You know, we don't really do things like that anymore. And I understand that there's some passages in the Old, Old Testament where you just kind of go, man, I'm glad I didn't live in the Old Testament because that was like super duper crazy time, you know? Uh, for instance, some of these patriarchs and, and, and early forefathers in Scripture that had five, six, seven wives, three or four concubines, and, and all these, good golly, Miss Molly, how'd they keep up with all that stuff? Yeah. I have a hard enough time keeping one woman happy. I couldn't even imagine keeping all those ladies happy, Right? You know, God's plan is best for us. When we follow the word of God, it is relevant. And even in the context of history where where things change, we understand that God's word doesn't change. So I want to read for you uh, just a neat passage that that Jesus laid out for us in Luke chapter 14. We're going to talk about the cost of true discipleship. And the first thing I want to submit to you is this. When, When considering true discipleship, before you sign the dotted line, read the fine print. Read the fine print. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 God's word says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, God's timing is amazing. This really had nothing to do with where we are with our building. But I want to tell you, this verse has resonated with me throughout the last couple weeks of our building program. We were starting the building. Are we going to be able to finish it? And by God's grace, we're finishing our building. We're very thankful for that. 
But that's not what we're talking about today, believe it or not. Uh, I, I, there's, a, there's a show, a new reality show. Uh, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the commercials for it, where it's houses of people that hit the lottery. I don't even know if that's what it's called. But it's, it's, it's people that buy homes after they hit like the, you know, the mega billions or whatever it is. And it kind of shows these, you know, really, really luxurious, crazy lifestyle homes. And it reminded me of a show that came on TV years and years and years ago, dating myself, uh, called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous by Robin Leach. How many remember that show? Everybody with their hands held high is old. Okay. So Robin Leach with me. Robin Leach had the show where he would show this lavish lifestyles that, that, that people would live. I saw it on a commercial. I didn't watch the show, but I saw it on the commercial. And one of the comments, either by the guy that's running the show or one of the people on the show, uh, that, that they said is, it's nice to spend money when you don't have to ask how much things cost. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Right? Uh, I went to buy a Suburban. This was about 10 years ago for my family. We had four kids and I just, I just needed to get out of the minivan phase. I wanted to go from minivan to truck and turn into a man, right? So uh, I went, and I, and I asked, you know, I was, I was looking at this used Suburban. It was about 10 years old. And I said to the guy when I was looking at this Suburban, I drove it. It fit me. It fit my body. It fit my kids. It was just a beautiful truck. And I said to the guy, hey, can you tell me what the gas mileage on this is? He said, buddy, when you're buying a Suburban, you don't ask what the gas mileage is, okay? It's a V8. You'll get about 11 miles a gallon. You're buying this for the size, not for the gas mileage, right? And it's funny, even if you get to a point in your life where things start to get a little bit more comfortable, you do want to know how much things cost you. There's not too many people that can, you know, just throw the money out where where it doesn't matter uh, how much money you're spending on things. Uh, I'll tell you a story that is relevant uh, to our church in regards to our building, uh, when we first started laying our plans out for the building, we sat down with our board, we talked to some guys that are a lot smarter than us, and, and, and we, we made a determination that we didn't want to spend more than half a million dollars to, to build out our building. Now, from a, from a personal perspective and personal finances, half a million dollars is a lot of money, amen? It's a lot of money. But when it comes to 33,000 square feet of building, and really, that's not a lot of money uh, considering what things cost to build today. We met with an architect, and the architect said, you know, I think we can work within that for you. So he gave us a couple weeks, and, and we went to his office, and, and, and I knew we were in trouble. The office was up in Frisco. Uh, the table was a marble table. They had multimedia all around the room. Everybody was wearing suits, and, and, uh, and they were super-duper dressed up, and, I was, and we walked in, and we were like, oh my gosh, we're in trouble, right? So we sat down, and they gave us this great presentation of this beautiful, beautiful turnkey building. I mean, it was unbelievable how the way that they wanted to build this thing out, it really was in accordance to how we wanted our space to be laid out, very similar to, to, to the way that we're finishing it now. But we go through all this thing, and I said, man, that's unbelievable. He says, well, I want to talk to you about something. I don't want to scare you. It's not going to be $500,000. I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, it's going to be $2.3 million dollars. I said, sir, I don't think you understand what, what, what we said when we said $500,000. That's not all we're going to spend. And then something happened. It was like a prophetic voice from my past, from my father. My father always used to say to me, don't let other people tell you how much you can afford. You need to know how much you can afford when you're spending money, right? So this guy said to me, I have good news, though. We called your bank, 
and you've qualified for a $2 million loan where you could do this turnkey and not do any work. Isn't that great news? I said, well, what's the good news that comes with the payment book on a $2 million loan? How do we do that? He said, what do you mean? I said, sir, when I talked to you, I told you we were only going to spend $500,000 on this build out. He says, yeah, but you don't know how much things cost. I said, sir, you don't know how much money we're going to spend. He said, well, I don't think you have an understanding of what it costs to build out 33. I'm getting kind of mad thinking about this again, Ken. And you're, Richard, you know what I'm saying? Because we've been through this a few times already. So, so I, I said to God, that's all we're going to spend. He goes, well, you're not going to get much. I said, well, you know what? You're telling me that we can't do this. He says, you can't do it. So I got me all pumped up. I'm like the little fat kid in junior high, right, that somebody went up to and said, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, I can. I'll jump off that 15-foot diving board even if it makes me have a black and blue belly. True story. I'm not going to not do what somebody tells me I can't do. I'm going to do it, whether I get hurt or not, right? So we got out of there, and a couple of us were like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And I was like, we're going to do this. It's going to cost under $500,000. And you know what the guy said to me? You build that building for $500,000, I'm coming to your church that Sunday. He may get saved. I don't know what's going to happen, but you know what's going to happen? And listen, that's not what we did. That's what God did, right? Now, I'm sharing that as a testimony to our church, right, and the faithfulness of God's people that have sacrificed. We have a handful of people that have told us, Pastor, we have never done for the church what we've been able to do this year, And 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 we're thankful for that. But there's a principle of understanding, right, how much things cost before you buy it, you know? And, 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 and that, doesn't, that doesn't just come with finances. That comes in many, many different areas of our lives. Uh, it comes with your most valuable resource, you know? People say churches talk about money all the time. That's not the most valuable resource in our lives. The most valuable resource in your life is your time, is your time. And there are things that, that pull us many, many different ways with our time, isn't there? You know, with your kids. For those of you that are grandparents that are trying to keep all your kids and grandkids happy, you're going back and forth. I can't miss a game, and I got to do all this. And, I, you know, I, I say this all the time. Kim and I are very blessed. We have three beautiful, beautiful grandkids. And, boy, I, I, I think being a grandparent is way better than being a parent. Just saying, okay? Love my grandkids. But I think sometimes being a grandparent, you know, you say all those positive things. You hear those little funny statements people make about grandparenting. Grandparenting is God's reward for you not killing your teenagers, you know, things like that. I think there's another one with grandparenting that says this. Grandparents have the opportunity to be parents again to make up for some of the bad decisions they made when they were parents. And I'm saying amen to that myself. My wife was a perfect parent. I'm still, I'm still in training. But it's funny how we have... So many things pulling away at our time. I was talking to Gary just a little while ago. How can, how can we, you know, you, you got a new kid coming in your life. You got this, you got this, you got this. There's something very, very, very precious in your life that's a character quality that you need to have, and that's learning how to put margin in your time. And we talked about how to put margin in your time. Sometimes adding margin or adding hours to your day means sleeping less. Sometimes adding hours to your day. You ready for this concept? It's going to blow your mind, right? It's going to be a pow moment for you. Adding moments to your day means this. You ready? Turning the TV off a little bit. That was super quiet, amen, by two people. So we watch too much TV as a culture and a society today. They say the average American watches over 50 hours of television a week. So if you have a full-time job, you're watching as much TV as much as you're working. On an average, that may not be you. Maybe you're 60 hours a week. God bless you. 
But we have to find ways to put margin in our time because time is something that's very, very expensive. And, and we have to consider our time when we're making commitments. So before you sign the dotted line of commitment, what's it going to cost you? And Jesus said here, he said, when, you, when you're going to build, it's, it's not just a building uh, principle, it's when you're going to build a life or, or build a legacy or build a ministry or, or, or build, uh, build people's lives. It says, are you going to be able to finish it? Because if you're not able to finish it, people will ridicule you and say, you've started to build something, but you weren't able to finish. And I think it's important that we understand it, that when we're considering the, the cost before we side the dotted line, we read the fine print. Here's the second thing. Is the highest price too much to ask? Is the highest price too much to ask when it comes to discipleship for the Lord? And I was talking to you about Scripture earlier. The, the way that we interpret Scripture, right, it's not by science or, or, or by politics or, or by modern society. We, we interpret Scripture with Scripture because the Bible doesn't compromise itself and it doesn't contradict itself as much as some people like to say it does. It doesn't. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, a, a, a previous few verses, it says, large crowds were gathering with Jesus. And then he turned to them and he said this. If anybody comes to me, and this is really a, this is kind of a, a, a sensitive passage of scripture. He says, if anybody comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I'll be honest with you. From a human standpoint, it feels like the cost of discipleship is too high. It just feels like it's too much. So in order for me to be a follower of Christ, I've got to hate my mom. I've got to hate my dad. I've got to hate my brothers and sisters. That may not be too hard, you know, for some of our brothers and sisters. I can hate them. That's not a big deal, right? Mother-in-law or, no, I don't know what it is for you, but is, is, is the emphasis on the word hate because the idea is this. God wants you, God's price for our lives, for, for true discipleship, for fo being a follower of Jesus Christ, is this is the principle. He wants us to love him more than we love our own family. And, and, and the, here's, here's what's the challenging part of that. Uh, we're in a baby explosion for our church, right? So we're trying to be politically correct by what we say. Uh, I talk to Gary about things one-on-one -on -one that I don't talk about in church, like baby changing and stuff like that, because people would kill me if you heard some of the things I would say about that. But we did something this week that was very politically correct. We put a baby changing station in the men's and the ladies' bathrooms. Yeah. Girls like, uh-huh. You go. I don't understand it. Richard, why? Why, right? I said to someone, why would you do that? Is Somebody wanted to kill me. Why would you do that? Isn't it her job to? And then I just got slapped and it was done. The conversation was over, right? I'm really not a male chauvinist, I promise you, I think. So, you know, we're, we, have, we, have, we have a lot of young families in our church and we really did. We, everything we're doing over there, you're really gonna understand and feel that there's a, there's, there's a, uh, uh, we really wanted to do a lot for our kids and for our families. That, that was our, our, our focus and our priority. Um, so why would God tell us if we want to be a follower of his, we've got to hate our kids? I mean, that, that, that just doesn't seem to make sense. And, and, and what the Lord Jesus is trying to teach us and help us to understand is, it's not about, it's not about hating your family. It's about where are you putting me in your life? And, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a consideration for you if you want to be a follower, a disciple, a follower of Christ. Something that's going to be used by him to make a difference in people's lives. And here's the understanding. 
God will not settle for second place in your life. He won't do that. Uh, God called me to love, love my wife and, 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 and love her in a way that honors him. God called me to love my kids, my four girls, in a way that honors him. And I love my grandkids. And, and I try to love people. And I try to be kind to people. And all those things that we try to do, you know, as human beings. But what, what God wants you to understand is if you put your kids in front of him, they become an idol in your life. If you put your wife or husband in front of God, you say, wait a minute. So I'm supposed to love my, my husband or my wife or my kids less? No, you're supposed to love God more. Yeah, good. It, it doesn't mean you have to love less. You know, love your wife ferociously, guys. Ladies, love your, your husbands ferociously. Love your kids like you would lay your life down for them. But, but should that be any more than the love that you have for the one who gave his life for you? And, and, and that, that's kind of a hard thing to consider because, you know, looking out of faces, so many awesome parents that love their kids and have sacrificed and given and, and, and do so much for their children and, and work and sacrifice and, and all the things that you do. That's, that's not the issue in our lives. The issue is, is we've let, we've, let, uh, we've let other things become first place in our lives other than God. And we've got to keep God first if we want to be a disciple of Christ, loving God more than our own family. Do you love God enough to lay your life down for him? Now, is that literal figuratively also? Lay my life down for the Lord. Uh, some of you saw in the news this week, there was a young man that was a missionary you know, that was going to an island just off the coast of India. I don't know, the, I can't remember the name of the island. Uh, but he went there because he said that God called him to take the gospel to those people. He was convicted about it. Uh, you read some of the stories that are coming out, how he, how he journaled, I don't know if I'm gonna live another day. Uh, he said things like, I don't want to die. But, I, but, but he said, one of the things he said was this, but I have to do what the Lord told me to do. Uh, I can tell you, I don't, I don't think God's ever um, put me in a place where I felt like I was, had, where it was life or death to serve the Lord. And I thank the Lord for that. Uh, I hope I would make the right decision with that, right? But, but do you love God that much and, 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 are, and are zealously serving him? And our, we said this definition of worship last week, where we are constantly aware of the presence of God in our lives, right? What does that mean, being constantly aware of the presence of God in our lives? Uh, when I'm with my wife, uh, it's very easy for me to act married. That's easy for me to do. When I'm not with my wife, I still know that I'm married. When we've traveled and go on different parts of, uh, of the world, like on missions trips and and, and stuff like that. When I left her, I wasn't not, I was, I was still married to her. We were still connected and we would find ways to text and talk and FaceTime and different things like that because I'm aware of her presence in my life and I'm aware that she is my wife. And, and worship is this. Worship is when we're always aware that God is in us and through us and all around us. And he, if you know Christ as Savior, his Holy Spirit lives with inside of you. And worship means that you're living your life aware that God's right there. When you're making decisions in your life, I'm gonna treat this person the right way because God's watching me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna handle the situation in my life the right way because the Holy Spirit lives with inside of me and I'm gonna submit and follow him. I'm gonna do what's right, not so the whole world can clap for me, but because I live for an audience of one and that's God our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And when we're constantly aware of God's presence in our life, then we can live a lifestyle of authentic worship. 
So do you love God enough to lay your life down for him? That's a pretty, that's a pretty daunting thing to think about. Here's number three. When this is what Jesus says about discipleship. It's non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable contract. Luke chapter 14, verse 33, it says, in the same way, excuse me, in the same way those who do not give everything up that you have cannot be my disciples. You say, man, God is, God's asking an awful lot of me, you know? This is my life, right? I mean, I, I used to say this to my dad. He used to get mad. My dad, uh, when I was young, uh, he'd get mad at me for something I did dumb in school or for punching one of my brothers or slapping my sister. I don't know, just doing dumb stuff. And he would get mad, he'd get mad. And rightfully so, he'd get, oh, you know, you got to do this, this, and this, and da-da-da-da-da. Don't you understand what you're doing? I said, wait a minute. I didn't ask to be born. I used to say that to my dad all the time. And he's funny. He heard that, that, that line by a comedian a few years ago. I brought you into this world. I could take you out if I want to, right? He used to say that to me sometimes. When you think about what God's asking of us, man, is that, that kind of doesn't seem fair. I mean, why would he ask that much and say it's non-negotiable? But here's the thing about God. God knows what he is asking for us, and he understands things that we don't. He just has an understanding of everything that, that we just don't in our lives. Isaiah 55, 8 points us towards this. It says, God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you consider doing something that God was leading you to do? Now listen, here's the key. That didn't make sense, humanly speaking. Um, we have a lot of folks in our church that have a, a huge, huge heart for missionaries. Uh, we support missionaries. We support different missions works all over the world. And it's just neat to hear about the pathway that some missionaries have taken with their life. Then you read the story about this guy that went to this island knowing he could be killed, and, and he was killed. And we don't even know what's on the other side of that. We see the heartache part. We see, the, we see like, man, that just seems like such a waste of life. He was young. We don't know how, listen to this, we don't know how God is going to be glorified through that yet. That's, hard thing to, that's a hard thing to comprehend, having kids the same age as that. But when you think about something God may be calling you to do, are, are you going to be okay doing that, understanding that you don't understand everything that he understands? Well, God, that just doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. And there's just a lot of things that God is going to want to do in your life. And I want to promise you, first and foremost, and really only because of the authority of the word of God, but I could speak to this also personally, uh, from things that I've seen God do in my life, the things that God asks you to do that don't make sense, when you do submit to it and follow him, that's when God becomes very real to you. Because the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and, and finish this verse, without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. And then it goes on to say this, because God is, that means God exists, and he rewards those that, that, that diligently seek him. So if you're, and I say that to people uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm sharing Christ with them, oh, I don't know, it doesn't make sense, I'm not ready to get saved right now. I said, okay, if you're not gonna pray and get saved, would you say this to God? Well, I don't know how to pray. I said, just talk, just, just speak it to God. Say, God, if you're real, I wanna know, will you show me? 
because that means God will reward those who diligently seek him. God's not going to say no to somebody that wants to know about Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Would you reveal your truth to me? No. He's not going to do that. He will reward those who diligently, and that means earnestly and diligently seek him. Are you earnestly and diligently seeking God? And here's the question. Are you willing to do something that God wants you to do that doesn't make any sense? Right? Now people are, oh, this is money. This isn't about money. This is about talking to a total stranger about the Lord. It doesn't make sense. Uh, some of you sporadically heard earlier, my wife was given the uh, announcements. Um, we had a guy named Mike come to our church. It was about three or four weeks ago, I think. Um, he came to church because uh, my son-in-law, Nick, who's kind of funny. We have this little thing we talk about with Nick. Evan, my son-in-law, Evan, doesn't talk about this because he's a self-barber. He just cuts his own hair, and he cuts his son's hair. He just does his own shape up, and he does a great job. Well, Nick and Johnny and me always have this thing about, where are we going to get our hair cut? You know what I mean? Did you find a good barber? Oh, that guy was terrible. Oh, this one was really weird. Oh, we had a, because there's one that, that Nick and I have gone to late that's like really super weird, but we invited her to, we invited her to church and we're hoping she comes, but man, like, like a hundred pounds of cray cray. I'm just telling you, super duper crazy, right? So Nick goes to this barber, new guy, right? Invites him to church. He come to church. Sat right over here and from the door. And, and my wife said something. I don't know if you got, got it. It was kind of like a little subtle, little subtle, little jab. Uh, she said, yeah, he came to church and he was early because visitors actually come to church on time. Yeah. That's funny. Come on, that's a little funny. Isn't it a little yeah. bit funny? Because there's two services, one that starts at 10 and the one that starts at 10, 15 that most of you guys come to. But um, that was love. That wasn't hate. So... So this guy comes, and, 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 and you, know, you know when newer people come to the church. You, you know, we, we're, we're, this church is very, very good about finding people. And it tells you one of two different things, if you think about it. This church is very, very good about finding people that are unfamiliar to you, which tells you one of two different things. This is either a really welcoming church or the people that come to this church regularly don't like each other and looking for other friends. It's, it's one or the other. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'm leaning to believe that people are just really, really nice here, yeah. Okay. So he comes in, sits right over there where John is. I think, John, you may have even sat with him. I know you talked to him that day. He came in, and during the church service, we shared an invitation uh, about receiving Christ as Savior, and, and, and we shared the prayer and, and went through the whole thing. You guys have heard me do that almost every week. He raised his hand. It wasn't one of these little things like this. You know how sometimes you raise your hand, and you don't want people to see you're kind of like this? That kind of a thing. He was like this and looked right at me. He came up to me after church in the lobby. He said, and Nick wasn't here. Um, he said, hey, I need to get a hold of Nick and thank him because today changed my life. His sister called me on, called us, the church Facebook prayer chain or something. I don't, somehow she got a hold of us uh, on Thursday. And I'm gonna tell you something I'm really excited about. We're having a new phone system. So we're gonna be like in my, we're not gonna be like the Barney Rubble, Fred Flintstone thing anymore. You're really going to be able to get a hold of us a lot, okay? Much, much easier. Because we're like, we have a church cell phone. It's really funny right now. But so she gets a hold of me and says, Hey, I need you to understand something. We have been praying for my brother almost his whole life. She said, I couldn't believe that he went to church and then actually told me he accepted Christ as his Savior. She said, I don't even know how to, she says, We don't even know how to respond to that. She said, But can you do me a favor? Uh, 
He had a heart attack. He's at um, Medical City Plano, and he's going to have some bypass. He, he had quintuple bypass, not quintuple, quintuplet, five bypasses. And um, he's doing, he's recovering. And we have a couple, we have a couple of our guys that, that have gone and visited him. I've been up to see him too. And, and I want you to think about something. All that happened because a big galunky, size 15, almost as tall as me guy, obeyed the Lord and invited somebody to church. And that's probably the nicest thing I'll ever say about you publicly, Nick, this, <laughs> the son-in-law thing. I've got to keep boundaries there, right? And he, he just obeyed the Lord. He just obeyed the Lord. So some of the things that God asks us to do aren't really that. He, he may not be asking you to write a million-dollar check to the church, if he is, I'd like to talk to you after church. But in all seriousness, he may be asking you just to be Jesus to somebody. But that seems so hard for us sometimes to, to break that barrier of sharing our faith or inviting somebody to church or, or just being kind to somebody in Jesus' name. Is God asking you to do something that seems humanly impossible to do? Because if you do it, Here's the last thing I'll share with you this morning. Number four, unimaginable rewards await true disciples. Unimaginable rewards. Luke chapter 14, I want to read these three verses to you. Luke and Ephesians and Philippians. The Bible says this, you will be blessed. And even though they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, Jesus says. We're going to see him face to face. He told us in John chapter 14 that he's preparing a place for us. And that place, and you know, we hear about the streets of gold and the mansions. We love all that stuff because that's kind of cool to think about. Going down Heaven Boulevard, you know, in a really big car, in our big house and streets of gold. That sounds really, really cool. But you know, you know what Jesus tells us? Because where I am, there you will be also. I'll be with you forever. You'll never not be in my presence. You're never going to hurt. You're never going to be able to sin. Your body's going to be perfect. That's what awaits us at the resurrection of the righteous. Ephesians chapter 3, 8 says, Although I am the least of the Lord's people, this grace, Paul said, was given to me to preach to the Gentiles this. You ready? The boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches. God has great things for you in store when you submit to him and follow him. In Philippians 3.8, Paul says this. This kind of helps us understand the passage when he says, uh, you know, you got to hate your mom and dad or hate your... It's not about the hate. It's about the separation. It's about the, the, the level of love you need to have for the Lord. Paul said this in Philippians 3. What is more, I consider... Listen, listen to what he says here. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake... I've lost all things, and all that stuff I consider garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul says this. If you read the King James Version, he says this. I count those things but dung. His earthly position. Now listen to me. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. You can misquote me or say I was talking dirty in church, and we're not reading Song of Solomon, so don't get upset. But you, you can say I'm saying bad stuff. Paul said this. Everything in your life, your cars, your house, your stuff, your shoes, your clothes, is nothing but poop. That's what he said. And I got to say poop in church. It was awesome, man. I love that, right? 
But if you think about that, Paul said everything is nothing but a pile of dung. Except that when you consider the value of Jesus Christ in our lives. So, so here, here's a concluding thought before we pray. Discipleship will not cost you more than he has or will continue to pay. I, I want to I tell you a story. I'm not going to read it from the Bible, but I want to tell you a story as we close in prayer. And it's, it's, it's a great story, and many of you know this story already. It's the story of uh, Abraham and his son Isaac. Abraham's known as a patriarch. Um, is somebody going to come? You want to come up and play? You just want to come up and... I just want to, I'm, I'm tired of being alone up here, Clint. Can you come stand with me? So there's this guy named Abraham, right? God told Abraham, and this is going to be super duper quick, a bridge story on this. In Genesis chapter 12, to leave the country where you are and go into another country, and I'm, I'm going to put, lay my path before you, but you're, you're going to take your wife, your only wife, and I'm going to bless you crazy. I'm going to bless you so much that all of your descendants will be more in number than the stars in the skies. So he left. His country was called the Earl of the Chaldees. Ur, Ur, you are Ur of the Chaldees. And he went south, and he went to this place that God told him to go. And then God did something for him that, that is probably the hardest thing for us to do in our lives. He made Abraham wait. Ugh. How many are impatient in this room? Raise your hand up in here. I'm, raised, I'm asking you to raise your hand because I'm being very inclusive. I'm very impatient by nature. I really, really am. So, so God told Abraham, you're going to have a kid, and that kid, you're going to be the father of great nations. So Abraham's thinking, man, we better get busy because we're going to have lots and lots of kids, right? And you know what I'm talking when I'm saying that. So years, and listen, years go by. Years and years and years and years go by, no baby. So Abraham and, and, and his wife, Sarah, like, dude, we're not doing something right here. Something's going on. There must, we must not understand God's plan. We got to come up with another way because this just doesn't seem to work. So, so Sarah says, all right, um, get my, one of my maids, and she'll come in, and you can have a baby with her. Now, when you read that, it's kind of funny because Abraham doesn't go, ew, or no. He goes, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do it. She's 60 years younger. Great. You know, he's like that, right? So, he, so she comes in, they have a baby together, Ishmael. Now, the implications on history today from that decision are, are inexplainable, and we won't even get into all that. Like the whole conflict with Muslims and Christians goes right back to that decision that Abraham made. Another time, another place. So Abraham submits and surrenders. He's trying to figure it out. More years go by, and God came up to Abraham and said, okay, buddy, it's time. Your wife's gonna have a baby. He's like 100, she's like 90, right? Can you, anybody that's over 60, can you imagine having a baby right now? We're close to, woo, I'm 52. I couldn't even imagine, right, if that was true in our life. So, so they, she can, they conceived, they have a baby. Same as Isaac. They waited years for this kid. Years and years and years. And then God says this to Abraham. This is crazy. He says, all right, buddy, I want you to take your son, Key phrase, your only begotten son. Remember that. And I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. God asked Abraham to do something that doesn't make sense to me. Why would he make him wait for all those years? 
But there's a little part of that passage of scripture that is just, if you, if you, if you read it, and it says this, it says this in the book of Hebrews. Abraham believed in something, listen, Abraham believed in something that hadn't been taught of, hadn't been understood, hadn't been experienced at this time in biblical history, and that's this word, the resurrection. Abraham believed that he was gonna kill his son with a, with a knife, and that God was gonna resurrect him from the dead. And, and you read through that story, as a dad, I don't understand that kind of command that God gave to Abraham. I don't get it. But this is what's crazy about this. He goes up there. Abraham pulls his arm back with the knife in his hand to strike his son. He said to him earlier, where's the sacrifice? God, where's this? Isaac's like, hey, Dad, what are we doing later? Hey, we're going up to sacrifice, da-da-da-da-da, to the Lord. Well, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says this great, great phrase. He says, God will what? Provide. That's where the name Jehovah Jireh comes from, right? So they go up. Abraham goes ready to kill his son. An angel didn't say don't. An angel stopped his arm in the motion to do this, what the word of God says. Crazy. And they hear this. Or whatever noise that kind of animal makes, goat or a sheep or something. And there it was. Listen, God provided the sacrifice honored Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11 honors him for his faith, honors him for obedience. This is the part that is just the big mind-blowing thing right here if you listen to this. You ready? God did not ask Abraham to do something that he wasn't planning to do himself. But Jesus took our place. God let his son die for everything that I did wrong. And there was no, nobody stopping him. He went all the way to the cross. He laid his life down. Because he's God, he rose up from the grave three days later, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and giving us something that we all desperately, desperately, desperately need. And you know what that is? It's hope. It's hope. So when God does challenge you to grow you, whether it's by sharing Christ with somebody, whether it's a new job, whether it's a different kind of giving, whether it's sharing Christ with somebody, whether it's just taking a step of faith in your life, just understand something. God's not asking you to do something he doesn't understand, hasn't done way, way, way more than he'll ever ask us to do. And listen, that he's not gonna reward. He's gonna bless you crazy. That, that guy, Mike, the trajectory of his family and his eternity got changed because somebody invited him to come to church. Somebody, a lot of people in this room have the same kind of story. I invited and they came and they got saved. I invited and they got saved and their marriage was restored and now their kids are in church. My mom and dad were living crazy. They accepted Christ and I grew up in a Christian home because somebody told my mom or dad about Christ. That's what's in front of us. Listen, when we become true followers of Christ. So what's God calling you to do that seems impossible? Oh, God. And when you say this, this is okay when you're negotiating with God. It really is. God, I can't do that. Very good. That's exactly where I want you to be. Huh? But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The cost of two disciples. Are you a follower? Not just a believer. I believe in Jesus, died on the cross, three days later rose up from the grave, accepted him as my personal savior. I'm gonna live with him forever and ever and ever and ever, right? I believe in Jesus, but I also wanna be a follower. 
and be used by him to do what he's called me to do. Are you a disciple? That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Lord, we love you.